This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Welcome to Anchored in Christ, the podcast from Old South Presbyterian Church. And um, what we started out with this uh, podcast doing is because Pastor Sarah, who's here with me today, uh, was unable to deliver her own sermons for the first seven episodes of the, uh, of the podcast, we've been starting out with interviews to get her thoughts. And so you would become familiar with her voice since she is kind of the driving force at this point for the, um, the direction of this podcast. However, at this point, what we're going to do is allow each of the sermons to stand on their own unless it's the start of a new series. And so that's what we have today is we have the start of a new series. And um, this one is based, this series is based on a book by Krish Kendaya called God is Stranger. This is the cover. Finding God in Unexpected Places. And um, all the sermons in this series were at least strongly inspired by this book. Um, can you tell us about what drew you to this book? What did you, why did you decide to base this next series after soul searching on this book? Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year I was here at Old South Presbyterian Church, it was uh, clear that we needed to get a big picture of the whole narrative of the scripture. Mm-hmm. So you call that a meta narrative. It's the it's the biblical story arc, beginning with Genesis, ending with Revelation. What's the Bible about? Mm-hmm. We did that. Right. It was exciting. However, when we do that, we are assuming that we uh, really can can uh, understand all that God is doing in 66 books of the Bible. And I wanted us to step back and get permission to ask the more textured questions, the harder questions, Mm. going back with Genesis and asking why, why? A lot of questions. Krish Kandaya in his book, for instance, God is Stranger, says that it's, uh, it's as if we need to say, why did God react to Adam and Eve's transgression, their mm-hmm. eating of the forbidden fruit, in such a way that kicked them out of paradise, kicked them out of what they needed, and began a refugee Mm -hmm. crisis Mm -hmm. for humanity away from our original home Mm. for the rest of human history. Did God overreact? What was going on? That's an example of what Candaya does in his book. Okay, and so that understanding of... um the relationship that God has with people throughout the Bible and the quest, the hard questions. The harder questions. Is what really drew you to that book then. It does, yeah. and, and it allows, it, it allowed me as I was reading it, and mm-hmm. then again as the one selecting scriptures mm-hmm. and then preaching from that, it allowed me to put into people's minds some things that we don't want to have sugar-coated, we don't want to have easy answers, we want to be a people who, like St. Anselm, 
can be faith-seeking understanding. Mm. We want to understand why God does, uh, what God does, how God does it. And it's really when you look at the the revelation of God, because that's what revelation is. It's um, it's self-initiated. God self-initiates, hello, I'm here. Why does he come like a stranger? So with Abraham, he comes in three persons that Abraham does not recognize, Mm -hmm. who then make a promise, and it's then identified as the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital, Mm -hmm. uh, Yahweh himself, who is speaking with Abraham. Um, When you think of Gideon, and you think of the angel, and then Gideon recognizes he's been in the presence of the Lord, over and over in the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, we see this goes all the way up until like Jesus uh, on the road to Emmaus with the two walking. Mm-hmm. They didn't recognize they didn't him. him. No. They did not recognize him. And yet he is sharing with them from scriptures all things that pertain to him. And uh, so this, the book is allowing us to see God comes like a stranger. And we can ask hard questions. Why? And then how will we recognize finding God in unexpected places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you don't mind, I'd like to say how hospitality fits Absolutely, that. absolutely. That was one of my questions anyway, so go right ahead. <laughs> so hospitality, if you think about Abraham inviting the three strangers in, and he just pulled out the stops for a meal right. because he was showing um, uh, Near Eastern hospitality, which, which is in a harsh environment to these strangers who show up at his tent, mm-hmm. and he sits with them. In the same way we find, let's just fast forward, Mary, mm-hmm. the mother of Jesus, has experienced God in strange ways mm-hmm. with the invitation of Gabriel to be willing to be the, the one who has a conception by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. who is going to be bearing the shame of an unwed mother, mm-hmm. who is going to be, you know, in a uh, uh, a stable uh, to give birth because there's no other room right. um, in a town that's not her own. And yet she invites the shepherds in who were considered unclean. They were, they were not able to go into the temple because of their work with sheep. She invites the three uh, magi, which were astrologers, who had seen a sign and want to come and worship the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. She's not afraid of showing hospitality right. to strangers who are, are seeking and coming because of what God has done and revealed to them. Mm. So just you see the hospitality throughout of how that's how we too are going to have um, uh, experiences with God. Mm-hmm. Looking for God in unexpected places is definitely what it is. So um, what do you most want the listener or viewer to take away from this series? Mm. It's safe mm-hmm. and encouraged to ask questions. Um, I don't want any believer to have a spoon-fed faith, but one which has put up the, the challenges to God. And in a community of believers and through the scholarship that we have, but, but through the witness of Scripture and, and, and God's consistency, mm-hmm. we find there are 
answers and we're going to we're going to we're going to have a satisfied mind and we're going to have a a convinced faith mm-hmm. and then we'll have a an anticipation that how we deal with those who are um, uh, the stranger in our midst and we, we want to acknowledge in scripture most of God's people have been migrants and refugees right they've been outed from their land and are sent into a foreign land or they are caused to go in another direction because of famine or because of persecution. I mean, that's the early church. They're dispersed. So God is in the business of meeting people Mm -hmm. who are fleeing, who are displaced, who are in great need because he's that's the story. That's the biblical story. That's the Jewish diaspora. I mean, even today, it is. Mm-hmm. And 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 so we 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 find that we meet God as we receive in hospitality other people, but we're going to meet God in Scripture as He receives our questions mm-hmm. and He receives our faithful response of showing the hospitality of God to others. Mm, that's a great message to take with us. All right, let's go into this first sermon in the series and the ones that come after. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we've sung the words and now we pray the words. Open our eyes and open our ears so that we may have mouths and lives that know you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Krish Kandaya. He was born and raised in Brighton, England. His father born in Malaysia, his mother in northern India. At the age of seven, he was given a Bible. And it was a Salvation Army volunteer who showed him how to take a fluorescent orange pen 
and underline the parts of the Bible that were the most important. These highlighted portions served Krish well. It was what he heard preached and taught in Sunday school. It's what he learned to take to heart. He heard them in funerals, and he heard the verses in weddings. They were sufficient for his faith until he went to Lebanon a few years ago. He went because there were Aleppo, Syria, who fled because of the war. Invited into one of their homes, he was amazed. The home consisted of a few wooden poles stapled to which were plastic sheeting and a threadbare carpet to sit on. He saw and learned that this family had a bomb go off in a bakery right next to their home. And so they took what they could carry and their young son and fled to safety in Lebanon. Along the way, the young son was sick. They had to borrow from loan sharks in order to pay for surgery that saved their son's life. The mother was heavily pregnant and winter was coming. Krish wanted to give some word of give some word of encouragement from the Lord and he got his bible and went to all of those fluorescent marked passages but they seemed inappropriate John 10:10 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full Matthew 11:30 My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the word of God is true. These verses are true. But they sounded trite in such a terrible situation. What did the Bible have for them? That's when Kendiah remembered the story of Joseph and Mary fleeing, or they were traveling to Bethlehem. She was heavily pregnant. There was no place for fleeing down into Egypt because of Herod's edict to murder all of the boys two years and younger. These were the realities that surrounded that first Christmas story. It's a far cry from our words, Merry Christmas. These are the portions of scripture that are not highlighted and few people talk about. It's like the dark side of the moon. There seems to be a dark side of the Bible. In this series, we will look for God in unexpected places and in unexpected ways that are in scripture. For example, we expect God to come close to those who seek him with all their heart. We know that from Jeremiah 29, 13. 9, 13. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me. What we don't expect is that God also comes uninvited unannounced and unrecognized. And this is what we find in Saul's encounter 
on the road to Damascus. First, God comes uninvited to Saul. We meet Saul in Acts chapter 7, the very end. Acts 7 is when Stephen, who is the first deacon, he is giving his witness from Abraham to Jesus, showing how God's plan was being fulfilled. It was to death. And it says in verse 58 of Acts 7 that those who stoned Stephen laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They didn't want to get blood splattered on their clothes. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. Saul did not want to hear about Jesus. Jesus was uninvited. Saul, we know from his own writings in the New Testament, studied under the rabbi Gamaliel. He was the best religious teacher. It would be like going to Harvard Divinity School. In Acts chapter 5, verse 34, we see Gamaliel standing up in front of the Jewish council, urging the council not to chase, urging the council not to chase down the Christians. Leave them alone, he advised. If it was a human religion they were teaching, it would fail. But if it was from God, then the Jews would be fighting against God himself. But Saul rejected his teacher. Jesus was uninvited. Saul was convinced that Christians were wrong. Christians claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. But Paul, he could not comprehend a crucified Messiah. Christians claimed that Jesus was raised on the third day after Passover. As a Pharisee, Saul believed in the resurrection at the end of time, but not in the middle of life as we know it. Christians claim the stone was rolled away. No one could produce the body. The Jewish leaders spread the rumor that the disciples stole Jesus' body. And Saul hated the Christians. He was committed to stopping this false religion. He vowed to kill anyone who misrepresented the God of Israel. And yet, God comes uninvited. This mirrors what we heard read in John 1.11. He came to what was his own, in the original, his own home. His own people did not accept him. Saul is not the only one, though, to whom God comes uninvited. You hear me quote so often C.S. Lewis. He was a professor of medieval literature at Oxford, and for much of his life, he was a militant medieval literature at Oxford, and for much of his life, he was a militant atheist. The last thing Lewis wanted was to be converted to Jesus Christ. But God snuck up on him. And Lewis was surprised by joy, as he later said, at that time, however, 
Lewis describes himself as being dragged, kicking and screaming into the kingdom. He was the most reluctant convert in the world. The truth is, none of us, naturally, by nature, want God. But God still comes, even when uninvited. That's what makes Saul's conversion so remarkable. Without an invitation, Jesus met Saul. God never... What we know is the sovereign will of God, and it expressed the grace of God in choosing Saul. But this is how God comes to us. In his love for you and for me, God acts like a hound dog who's got a scent trail. It was the 19th century British poet, Francis Thompson, who wrote a small book titled The Hound of Heaven. Thompson describes how he ran away from God. Quote, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I hid from him. And under running laughter, I sped from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. In the poem, Jesus pursues Thompson with unhurrying Jesus pursues Thompson with unhurrying chase, unperturbed pace, deliberate speed and majestic urgency. John Stott, in his biography, references this poem. He says this: "My faith is due to Jesus Christ himself." who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him, in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would be today on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. What about you? Are you aware that God is coming after you on your trail, even if he's uninvited, to sense him approaching even now. It's possible to surrender at any time. The second thing we see in our text is God comes unannounced. Saul is heading north from Jerusalem to Damascus. He is so sure of himself, and he's so sure of the rightness of his cause. Verse 3, now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. It was like a thunderbolt. It was a bright light. It appeared from heaven. This is an astounding, unannounced event. Something as unannounced happened to Josh Davis. I met Josh five years ago while we were training to be spiritual directors. Josh was witty and smart. He graduated with a BA from Cornell, a law degree from Stanford. By mid-career, he was one of Massachusetts super lawyers. Josh was a Unitarian Universalist. He was the president of his UU Society 
in Arlington, Massachusetts. Over lunch one day, Josh told me the story about a night in 2009 when Jesus came to him unannounced. He and his wife were asleep when suddenly a bright light appeared at the foot of his bed. He sat bolt upright, terrified. He was so afraid of waking up his wife, so he motioned to go downstairs. The light went before him. Down in the living room, he stares. The light went before him. Down in the living room, he sat on the couch with the brilliant light radiating. He said, who are you? I am Jesus. I don't believe in you. It doesn't matter. I don't believe this is happening. It doesn't matter. Josh continued to give every reason in the book why he didn't believe in Jesus, why this could not be happening. He went through everything. Every response was, it doesn't matter. While Josh was talking, the ceiling of the house lifted off and Josh found himself caught up somewhere among the galaxies in the middle of the universe. He was then returned to this living room with the ceiling put back in its place, and then the light left. Unannounced is alive. And like Saul, it put him at the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Saul discovered that Jesus is alive. Have you? Standing one day on a corner in London, the genius English writer G.K. Chesterton was approached by a reporter. Sir, I understand that you've recently become a Christian, the reporter said. May I ask you one question? Certainly, answered Chesterton. If the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? Chesterton looked the reporter squarely in the eye and said, he is. Do you know with that kind of certainty that Jesus is alive? Oh, with that kind of certainty that Jesus is alive. Some who go to church assume that he is dead. They do not believe in the resurrection. Others profess to believe in the resurrection, but their lives show that faith is a hobby, or faith is used as a form of life insurance. Still others treat the church like a museum association, faithfully preserving the memory of Jesus. And yet, God comes uninvited and unannounced. Are you prepared for his coming? Finally, God comes unrecognized. Verse 4, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, who are you, Lord? Saul asks. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus is unrecognized until he reveals himself. I am Jesus. He uses his earthly name, not a divine title. Now for Saul, this is... 
This is so clarifying. This is putting into real focus what's going on here. It was true after all. Though unrecognized by many, Jesus was alive. His disciples were right. And he, Jesus, was speaking to Saul. As an aside, for those who know the risen Lord Jesus, this is what it's like to be in Scripture and in prayer and meditating upon Scripture, meditating upon Scripture. The Holy Spirit communicates the risen Lord to the heart, and it is a conversation with the living Lord. Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now Saul recognized him. Saul thought he was persecuting individuals in the church, but it was Jesus who felt every pain. Is the Son of God unrecognized by you? In the D.C. Metro subway on January 12, 2007, Joshua Bell stood near the wall next to a trash basket. He had on jeans and a long-sleeved T-shirt and a baseball cap. In removing from it the violin, he placed the case on the ground and put a few dollars in it and began to play. It was rush hour. Everyone was busy with their own agenda. But for 45 minutes, Bell played Mozart and Schubert as more than a thousand people streamed by, most of whom hardly noticed him at all. Just three days earlier, everybody noticed Joshua Bell. It was a sold-out concert at the Boston Symphony Hall. The cheap tickets went for $100. But in this setting, no one recognized the world-renowned violinist. No one recognized the rare Stradivarius violin worth $3 million. Only 27 people stopped long enough to give a people stop long enough to give a donation amounting to $32. Is God unrecognized by you? Even so, he comes. And there are consequences to receiving God when he comes. For Saul, it was the most famous conversion in church history. The story is so important that Luke repeats it three times. In chapters 22 and 26, we hear Paul's own words about that experience. Paul now was a committed opponent to Christianity, which teaches us never to give up on anyone. Saul's conversion was for our sake. God has already saved the worst. Saul invited. He was unannounced and unrecognized, and you can too. Saul got a new name, Paul. He got a new character. He got a new way of life and a new mission. He was a new man. You can be new too. Because God is coming. 
coming to you, if you are ready to receive him, those who have already received him, I encourage you to nurture the new life and the character that he is working within you. It is new. It's of God. And for those who have not, our word is that we can receive him. We can receive him today, even at this table. He brings a change. He brings a change that makes us never the same. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would not give up coming. And we pray for anyone who has not yet responded to your coming, that they may say, I give myself to you. I receive you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.